Hey guys, what's up? It is episode four of Activated Performance Radio. Today we had Brian Hill on the show. Not only is Brian an absolutely amazing human, he has become one of my biggest mentors when it comes to training and training philosophy. We talked about his coaching style, his training philosophy, and some of the mistakes that he's made along the way. Brian is one of the most thoughtful and technically proficient lifters in the sport. Multiply or raw, you can definitely learn something from Brian. All right, guys, enjoy the show. What about you, Miana? How's your training? Aren't you doing this, mate? I am. Uh, squats and pulls are going pretty well. Um, bench, I've been dealing with my, my first ever shoulder issue, which is like wild to me. Whenever people talk about shoulder issues, I didn't realize like how, like how much it can be you know, frustrating, but I think I figured it out. It's like a rotator cuff tightness. Um, yeah. And I was mashing the hell out of it. So I was doing like too much tissue work on it and I was just making it angrier and now that I've stopped doing tissue work on it it's like a miracle it's like a hundred times better so huh. yeah huh. gonna be a good prep oh good yeah she's back to coaching herself now so that means well like I know I know what works best for me and like it was cool to try doing like more of like a, a varied method when it came to training but I, I know I know myself and I know how to peak well so yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to learn how to coach yourself. That's what I kind of hate online programming and coaching, all that kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice to have somebody to consult with or oh, you know, somebody, sure. but following somebody else's program or being coached by somebody, it's really hard to uh, make it is, I guess, to the top. <laughs> That's what. Mm-hmm. How do you manage it with your own clients? Like, how do you make sure that they're still able to make their own choices and work on the fly and learn? As of right now, I actually only have 13 and none of them are like, they're all of the mindset, especially like Stefan, who I guess is probably like the main standout or like he's at the highest level. They really, they don't want to coach themselves. Like they don't want to program for themselves. I try to help them and like teach them to be able to, but none of them are at the level now that they like are comfortable enough to make the right decisions on their own. And I really don't even make like weekly decisions for them as far as like on the fly. So I try to still encourage them how to do that stuff, like auto-regulate and whatnot. But it's really just like it's as much of a bad rap as like copy and paste or like templates get. That's really that's how I train myself. That's how I train everybody else, and it seems to work pretty well as long as you uh, have some sort of auto-regulation mm-hmm. factor built in. I think that's something I found is programs don't have to be 100% individualized to work for an individual. Like, yeah, like the basics became the basics because enough people did them and they worked for everybody that it's like the same shit kind of works for everybody over and over again. If you look at, you know, all the top guys, they just do the basics better than everybody else. Guys and girls. When it comes to coaching yourself, like I like having a coach because it removes the emotional decisions. Cause like that's my issue when it comes to like, even like nutrition stuff. Sometimes I'll find myself like, I wish I could afford to have a nutrition coach right now because it eliminates my, and you, like, it's like, I have like my emotional brain and my rational brain and like my rational brain's like, Hey, like you should, you should probably do things like, you know, follow the path, stick to things or like regulate a little bit if you need to. But then my emotional brain is like, I need to do this on this day and I haven't lost X amount of weight yet. And then it just kind of like the emotional side of my brain just kind of like blows everything over. And then I ended up making stupid decisions. So I'm like trying to learn how to make my rational brain 
more rash, like take over a little bit more. But I find <laughs> like that's the big reason why a lot of like even higher level lifters could use coaching. Yeah, that if I had somebody telling me no <laughs> over the years, a lot more often it probably maybe I wouldn't have as many bangs and bruises as I do. There's certainly a lot of injuries that could have been avoided. I think if you had somebody there, or at least you know holding you back a little bit, because like you say, the emotional decision. My personality is like duct tape it and keep moving. Whereas <laughs> you should sometimes take a step back and try to address the issue. And I'm not qualified to address that kind of shit. So did you have someone saying no in the beginning? Because I know like on my side of things, when I was first starting out, I had so many people saying that's stupid. Don't do that. That's too heavy. Don't do that. That's whatever. Don't do that. And like me being a young, dumb 18 year old, I was pissed off at them telling me I couldn't do something. So I just wanted to do it more. <laughs> no, I never had anybody not in training, but like in life in general, uh, the way that I grew up, my dad was real controlling and a uh, weird kind of dynamic there. So it's like, once I was like, training was like my one thing where I, when I first got into it, where I could do whatever the fuck I wanted to and not have to answer to anybody. So it was like, I kind of went wild there on some things. How'd you get started with powerlifting? Where do you, where do you go? What gym? Did you have it was actually, no, I started training in general, uh, the summer between my sophomore and junior year of high school. And then I, no real direction. Uh, I didn't have, I didn't like anybody else. I just was following uh, workouts that I'd found on like bodybuilding.com. Uh, I was actually following the Jay Cutler beginning bodybuilder routine, which is a lot of, you know, like four day split compound movements and all that type of stuff. And uh, I'd hurt my knee squatting one morning and ended up, Come to find out later, I tore my LCL, but we, we didn't have any insurance or any of that shit. So, like, I didn't go to the doctor or get an MRI or anything. But I tore my LCL, and then I missed squats for – I couldn't squat or deadlift at all for about 12, 16 weeks. And I was just doing some research on bodybuilding.com, trying to find ways to uh, squat again without knee pain. And I stumbled across uh, – somebody suggested box squat. I'm like, what is this? So, I started, you know, researching. And by the research, I mean – looking up random shit on Google uh, about how to box squat. And it brought me to some old Dave Tate deep squatter articles. I don't know if you remember his old yeah. website before elite FTS all about box squats. And then of course he talked about West side barbell all at, all at the same time. I'm introduced to box squats, Dave Tate, elite FTS, West side barbell. And so like I go down that rabbit hole for a couple of days and I go to the gym one day and decide I'm going to start, I'm going to try this box squat thing. And just by complete happy accident, there was a, a pretty well-known powerlifting gym in Clemens, North Carolina that I had no idea of called East Coast Barbell. That's where guys like uh, Travis Mash, Chris Mason, Joey Smith, uh, Tony Atkins, Barry Williams, a lot of like North Carolina OG badasses trained there. And it had shut down and went out of business. So all these guys were kind of flocking to various uh, commercial gyms and Travis Mash and Tony Atkins just so happened to like be visiting the gym that I had trained at on the day that I was going to practice, you know, try to this box squat thing for the first time. And they were both in there and saw me and kind of gave me some pointers and whatnot. And then from there, I kind of continued to talk to Tony because Travis was like more of a coaching, I guess, kind of thing. And he was like trying to sell me on letting him coach me. And he was coaching a lot of athletes and stuff at the time. And me, I was a broke teenager, and Tony was like, hey, why don't you come train with me and my brother? We need a training partner. And so I just jumped in with them, and six weeks later did my first meet. The rest is history, as they say. <laughs> That's like the perfect way to get into it, though, because it's 
totally accidental, but you end up in the perfect environment to learn how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it was like complete accident. I just was trying to figure out a way to, you know, squat because even early on, that was my favorite lift, even though I had, you know, terrible form as you could imagine. Uh, I hurt myself and yeah. And do you like, still use box squats? I do not. <laughs> I do not. Cause after I <laughs> discovered box squats, I spent nine years box squatting forgot how to free squat <laughs> or maybe i never learned how to free squat efficiently that's probably yeah. why like the box squats may have helped and they did i mean they took me from a 340 uh raw squat well my first geared meet i squatted 455 in single ply so it took me from 455 to 935 in nine years wow. and then i decided to ditched the box and in a year and a half I went from 935 to 1107 so and did you learning how to squat I did I would put I would put full gear on maybe a couple times a year and do free squats but like the whole west side way was you don't bought you know you don't free squat except for on meat day and I bought into all that shit hook line and sinker and I started before I decided to ditch the box altogether I did start experimenting with like free squatting every third or every fourth week or so for max effort work. And then it's like, I started getting a little bit more familiar with, you know, free squatting, but it wasn't until I just decided on a whim to just ditch the box completely for 12 weeks and see what happened that my squat went from a questionable 935 that got passed to a questionable 1005 that got turned down and one 12 week training cycle. So like, okay, maybe I'm on to something. And so I stuck with free squatting ever since. And then, like I said, it's, it's been nothing but up. Do you think there'd be any reason to ever bring it back for you? Like, do you think you could make it work now that you have a better handle of free squatting? I've tried since um, on a couple of different occasions because after APF Nationals last year, I was you know, having a conversation in the warm-up room with Dave Hoff and he was explaining why I needed the box squat and how much it would help my deadlift. And uh, I tried it for a few weeks and – it was even trying to use like better habits and treat it as much of like a free squat, something about relaxing that little bit on the box that, you know, breaking the concentric and eccentric phase, it would like the reversal would be all quads and lower back. Like people say that box squats are so great for your hips and your hamstrings and your glutes. And they may be for most people. I don't know if it's on the anomaly or I'm just still doing them wrong or what, but like, reversing off the box is all low back and quads and like very, very little glutes and hamstrings for me. And then you remove the box and like the exact same weight that I was box squatting with ease all of a sudden feels 30 or 40 pounds heavier. So like I said, I, it seems to work well, even for the people that I program for, it's like, what are the benefits of box squatting? Like learning how to sit back. Okay. Well, you can do that with a good morning or an RDL learning how to pry off the box with, uh, your head or leading with your upper back you could also do that with a good morning or an RDL uh, learning how to spread you can do that doing like goblet squats or uh, I do a lot of uh, I call them wall squats where you put a band around your knees and face a wall and like mm-hmm. perform a free mm-hmm. squat with and don't let any part of your body touch the wall so like I haven't come across a problem since I've been coaching or helping people that can't be fixed without using box squats, if that makes sense. So, like, no, I don't see a point to do them ever again for myself. <laughs> so. I think for myself, though, I love them, but it's mostly because I'm a giant pussy, and it, <laughs> is, and it forces me to get to the same spot every time. That 
I do see that point because I've talked to Bob Merck about that because he goes back and forth with like wanting to use the box as a depth gauge, but then it's like you're still relying on the box for depth gauge. So like without it, you're going to still be in no man's land. You know what I mean? Like without the box there telling you where depth is, you're either going to have to have somebody call your depth or you're just going to look like a tourist trying to find depth. <laughs> well, I mean, you have seen the free squat, so. I have, I have, and it's, it's pretty, so. I don't know. It's, it's something that's worked well for me and I don't see the need to get rid of it yet if it's still working. Yeah. Like I said, I'm kind of the anomaly there, or at least the minority. Um, like they work for a ton of people, like all of the, as far as I know, all 12 of the 1200 plus pound squatters out there are pretty religious box squatters. And like I said, I was for nine years. It's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. somehow, some way I was cheating. I, uh, I don't know why, but I just was always better with the box there. I don't know if it was, I uh, sit back, get a little extra rock or whatever. I don't know. It's just the box makes it easier for me. And even if I love them, I think there definitely are a lot of kids that need to listen to what you're saying and realize that if they're box squatting better than the free squatting, they need to figure out how to free squat and they need to reassess how they're training. Yeah. And you do see a lot of bad box squat habits like yeah. just because it works for a lot of people. Those people are also like really efficient box squatters and also really efficient free squatters where people that do like I did and like train on the box all the time, you learn how to you know, subconsciously you learn how to cheat on the box. And like, Mm -hmm. you you see a lot of people sit way too far back. A lot of people rock a lot. It's just all all kinds of bad box squat habits. Like remove that box and you do that and you're going to end up on the floor. (laughs) So you got to learn to squat without the box at some point. I got to say, you guys, you guys know Southern hospitality. We, (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk a little bit about forearm training, but first um, I want to talk about the story of how we met a little bit. There was the first hurricane ever that we had to deal with in Florida. We went to Home Depot to get a generator because that's what everyone said we should do. And it was just pure chaos. And when we thought we were gonna stay in Florida, uh, we realized we shouldn't and we wanted to get the hell out. And within a matter of like two hours, Seth packs up all of our important things and says, we're gonna go, we're just gonna you know, drive. If we get to Canada, we get to Canada. But I think I know somebody in, in Carolina and I think that we might want to like message him. And I think it was how, like, how soon was it to, that he, that he responded? Like, I think it was almost immediate, wasn't yeah, it, was it? A couple minutes and just <laughs> yeah. come on over. Yeah. Not knowing us at all, took us in and let us train and gives us a spot to hang out. Yeah. No. So we got to say like, uh, thank you so much for letting us come hang out with you. And you let us, uh, you opened your garage gym to us, which was really cool. We had a place to train. Uh, and we benched with you. And while I was watching you bench, I just thought he's got the smallest wrists I've ever seen <laughs> on, on, on a multiply guy. So how come you don't train your forearms or why didn't you train your forearms before? And have you been training your forearms since we told you to? I like everything else. Yeah, I did at one time. And then as I stopped and it, my bench continued to go up there for a while. And I have started doing a little bit of forearm work. <laughs> grippers and uh wrist curls and stuff like that so yeah forearms are overrated i've been 705 with no forearms so maybe i'll <laughs> maybe i can get back to 705 without <laughs> and then yeah. I'll, I'll i'll bring the forearms up for the the quest the 710 <laughs> yeah who knows maybe with big forearms you'll bench 750 oh that'd be nice that'd look good on a total maybe eight, i don't know that's i think that's a little out of my <laughs> My, my realm with that attitude <laughs> we gotta be realistic well 
Speaking of that, though, like you are a guy that gets a ton out of his bench shirt. Like you I made, used to. Okay. <laughs> you are a guy who has gotten a ton of his bench shirt. You might be the strongest but weakest bencher in my life right now. I think that the same could be said for all three of my lifts, really. I've uh, There's always been a huge discrepancy between my raw numbers and my geared numbers, but You're pretty I don't know if that... You're pretty proficient, though. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess that's as good excuse as any, or a good reason as any. Um, is there any secret? Is there any strategy? Is there a reason you don't push the raw or don't care to push the raw at all? Every time I have tried, I end up hurt. Like, I don't know if it's – like, my body is just not meant to be strong. Like, I have the weakest, frailest body, I feel like. And without some sort of gear – like, people always used to say, you got to take time to build up your raw base. Like, I went from not having a raw base to jumping immediately into single-ply gear. And, like, after every meet, I would start doing, like, raw training. And I would end up – like, it would take me twice as long to recover. It would – like obviously using much less weight and like muscles would be way so more sore than usual joints would start hurting and everything would just start falling apart. And I put the gear back on and it would kind of solve all that. And for, at least for the squat and the deadlift, especially like the mechanics of my raw squat and raw deadlift are so different than in gear. Like it, I think there's absolutely no carryover whatsoever. Like obviously if I brought up like my conventional deadlift or something like that, like stronger back, stronger legs, stronger glutes, all that kind of stuff, it would obviously carry over. But as far as like in the right areas, like you got to train in the gear to – you don't have that external feedback. Like it's kind of twofold. Like the gear gives you – allows you to be in the proper positions to hit the muscles in the way that they need to be hit to be good at that particular lift. So like there's nothing wrong with being strong overall and just having a strong body in general, but – like a raw bench is so different than a shirted bench. Like you can add 50 pounds to your raw bench in a training cycle and your shirt bench not go up because you don't know how to use a shirt. And then vice versa, you can like get strong in the right areas and really dial that shirt in and add 50 pounds to your shirted bench and like not get any stronger raw. And it does the same thing for all three lifts. So it's like master what you have to be, you know, master what you need to master and just be good enough to not, like ruin your recovery at the things that you don't like don't major in the minors i think there's something uh something i stole from jim willer i think he was the first person to say that or wrote an article about it talking about guys that are just like super strong on all the general shit not good enough at the the big three i, think that's I don't know if that answered your question i just went off on some super long that's babble that's <laughs> perfect. we actually did want to talk a little bit about um your your training logs and uh, you've been kind of keeping track of what everyone else is doing in terms of weights on their accessory lifts. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why you kind of created that? I don't know what to call it, like a little bit of like a portfolio of what everyone else is doing with their with their loads for accessory lifts. I did that just out of curiosity and mostly like just to try to be informative and help other people that might have been following you know, the stuff that I post, but it actually kind of ended up being a little eye-opening for me as well. But there's an old uh, YouTube video. Uh, they were doing like a CrossFit was doing a seminar at Westside Barbell. And there's a portion in the video where AJ Roberts says something like uh, talking about how when people come to train at Westside, they don't have to think they can just pick somebody and follow that person around the gym. He, he, he said, copy the monkey. So like you show up to the gym, if I'm benching 400 and I'm training with a guy that benches 430 raw, then like 
I could realistically catch him in like the very near future. So I'm just going to copy him, everything that he does in the gym. Like I'll partner up with him. If he's doing dumbbell presses and I'm tying him on dumbbell presses, then, you know, my chest and shoulders are probably up to par. And then we go to extensions and he's doing the eighties for, you know, sets of 10 on rollback extensions. And I'm only doing the sixties. Well, there's my problem. So I basically did that just to kind of humanize the, Nobody really posts all their, especially all the people that I surveyed, nobody posts that shit. They just post their main list because that's what everybody cares about. But we all know that the assistance lists are what build the main list. So since nobody keeps training logs, I just wanted to show people that might be following along. Like you could find somebody on that list that you're relatively close to and use that to, like I said, copy the monkey. If your hamstrings are as strong as theirs, but your lower back is not as strong as theirs, then you need to bring up your lower back and you'll lift what they're lifting and so on and so forth that was something super cool to see laid out mm-hmm. and what it really made me realize is that i'm just a giant piece of shit and <laughs> have accessories all the time <laughs> well it also i said it was kind of eye-opening for me too because like with all of the ongoing pec and shoulder issues that i've had over the last few years and not being able to like dumbbell presses was one thing that I always attributed to like when my raw bench was up and my shirt bench was up, it was when my, you know, my dumbbell presses incline and flat dumbbells were strong. I haven't been able to push those as hard as I would have liked the past couple of years with all the injuries that I've had. So I was like, I was certain that that was my issue, you know, like, Oh, like the reason I'm not, you know, my bench has kind of been in a road is because I haven't been able to push my dumbbells. And then looking at that list, I'm right on par with all these guys that are benching 450 to 500 raw, but they're murdering me on tricep extensions. Like JM Press, I, my best is 185 or five. And like these dudes are doing anywhere from two two plates to like you, four plates or sets of like eight to 10. And it's just, I can't do that shit. So I need to bring my triceps up, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. And like speaking of that too, it's like after seeing how little a lot of those guys that bench more than me are doing on dumbbell presses. I've realized like if I can, you know, dig in and bang out a shitty set of 20 with one fifties, what good is it doing me if I'm benching less than the guys using nineties? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's one of those things that majoring in the minors and uh, picking the right exercises and bringing up the right muscle groups. It's all about, uh, I got in a conversation with somebody else the other day about like training volume and doing things just for the sake of doing them. And I use the word arbitrary and they're like, well, it's not arbitrary because it, it has a purpose, but it might have a purpose. But if it's, if it's not directly impacting your main lift, then it's just distracting from your recovery. So it's like, why dig the ditch deeper? If you don't need to like continue pushing this one particular exercise, this one particular muscle group for a 12 to 16 week period, just don't train it. Like it's not going to get weaker. And if, even if it does, it's going to come down to the point where like it levels out like you don't want to completely neglect your strengths but like you want to train your weaknesses until they're on par with your strengths even if that means your strengths come down a little bit to meet your weaknesses if it means a bigger main lift and that's know, the goal yeah that's mm-hmm. the, that's the goal if you're if your dumbbell press over a training cycle goes from being able to easily handle the 150s for 10 to only doing the 120s for 10 or 12 but you bring up your triceps and you hit a 50 pound PR at the meet, what are you going to be happier about? Like, well, I'm a fucking piece of shit. Uh, I got weaker on my dumbbell presses. Nobody cares. You're not getting judged on your dumbbell presses. <laughs> and you know what's funny too is like every time I've gone on a big run to get really strong at dumbbells, I end up fucking myself up and can't bench for a few weeks because I pushed the dumbbells too hard. 
<laughs> yeah, but there's something like you said, Ronnie Coleman. He ruined the world by doing uh, for guys like us by doing the two hundreds on on incline dumbbell and flat dumbbell for sets of like twelve to fifteen. Because I, that's like one of that was like one of my lifetime goals. Yep. <laughs> I was like, I want to be able to rep the two hundred pound dumbbell. Yep. I, I can't even rep one fifties right now. So like, I'm still a far way from that. But there's something about dumbbell presses that are just fucking cool looking. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Some of the pro bodybuilders I follow now, like James Hollingshed and Jordan Peters, like they're they're pressing like 100 kilo dumbbells for sets of five to eight, just making it look like butter. And I'm just like, I want to do that. But at the same time, it's like, is doing that going to help me at all? As a, I mean, of course, I'll be stronger. Of course, I'll be way stronger if I can handle that dumbbell. Yeah. But like, is that goal going to help me be a better powerlifter? Is it going to translate to my total? Is the risk yeah. reward too? That's the big one. Is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak? That's uh... <laughs> I love that. Because I do find I have to, like, it's hard to find other strong girls. There are a few strong girls at the gym. But I'll often end up having to find a male training partner who's a little bit stronger than me. And people will end up saying, like, oh, you just, you just want to be someone who's, like, stronger than the dudes. I'm like, no, find me a girl who's, like, in my area stronger than me that I can train with. But Yeah. Well, no, that was, that's a, that was one I, of the if, reasons if we can, why like, I did keep um like posting what other people are doing for accessory lifts and if say um somebody you know a little bit farther away is you know who's benching more than me is posting what she's she's doing for all of her accessories and that would make it really easy to to have something to shoot for mm -hmm. so now that was a really smart thing to put together yeah that was why i did it because like exactly what you're saying you could find somebody i mean maybe not you because you're a raw lifter and i my whole my list only had geared lifters on it yeah yeah uh but that's that's but mostly like who follows me. There, who's strong, both raw and equipped. She did. I think. Did you have Tara Weber on there? Actually, I did not. No. Okay. Sorry. I thought you did. Yeah. Check your facts, Miana. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll shoot her a message and try to. She is somebody though who I follow, and she posts lots of lifts, and it's like she she's strong in all of her accessory lifts. Very strong. Maybe too strong on some of the things. Yeah. <laughs> Stronger than me. Yeah, it makes me feel bad. Yeah. But on that note, it's like when I first started training with Miata, I used to get so pissed at her because I thought she wasn't trying hard enough on accessories because everything was like so slow and controlled and she was getting the squeeze and she was using the muscles. And then like flash forward two years and I'm like trying to copy her because I blow myself apart too much. Yeah. <laughs> He'd always tell me that I was going too light, but everything that I was doing was like push to what I could feel like I could still control the movement, but you know, like I, I didn't feel like I was hurting myself, but it was, I felt like I was working the muscle. I felt like I was getting stronger. Like I felt like I was, you know, mind muscle connection, everything was feeling good. Just kind of getting juice in there. And he's over there like swinging dumbbells doing, doing his um, rolling tricep extensions and then hurting himself left and right. And the next thing you know, he's slowly moved over to what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of had to take his route too. Uh, I was never as strong as Seth is now, but like my first, if you would look at my trainer logs, which I, you, I'm sure you could imagine, I have a, a stack full of binders in my closet with every workout I've ever done since I started training in 2006. Uh, and you look at some of my old logs from like 2006 to 2013, and I'm, I was legitimately doing with shit form like rolling dumbbell extensions with seventies and eighties for sets of like six to eight, 
like going super heavy on barbell rows and shrugs and all that stuff. And it was exactly what you're talking about. Like I would just be writhing in pain 24 <laughs> seven and like benching 275 raw and like weak as a kitten on the main list. But like I'm keeping up with my training partners and even beating them on some of this unnecessary stuff. And then it wasn't until like I kind of kind of had to start because of job changes and career changes and stuff like that, schedule changes, I kind of started training by myself. And I was like, I don't remember what exactly led me to try it, but I just decided to start like using lighter weights and like the old bodybuilding mentality, like slow everything down, try to squeeze and just get, and then slowly but surely, like my main list started going up and I was like, okay, maybe there's something to that. And then I just kind of stuck with it and probably taken it to the polar opposite end of the spectrum. Now I want to do everything <laughs> as light as I possibly can. I think that's allowed me to, although I have a lot of injuries right now, it seems like it's allowed me to last almost 13 years now. It's nothing catastrophic. Like I haven't had to have anything reattached yet. So I think that might have something to do with it. That and like using, yeah, knock on wood, that and using gear all the time and uh, trying to use good form all the time. And you mentioned starting in 2006. So that was back before there was even a raw option. What was what was powerful like back then in the mid 2000s? My first meet ever was 2000, October 2006. And the federation, it's actually a little local federation here in North Carolina. Um, they were actually just starting to allow they, what they called unequipped, which was a belt and wrist wraps only. You couldn't wear anything on your knees, not even sleeves for squat. And it wasn't even called raw. It was, you had like, powerlifting and then you had unequipped powerlifting and i don't know if they started obviously they didn't start raw because there were other federations probably doing the same thing but my very first meet was raw and it wasn't because i wanted to be a raw lifter it was because i had uh, only been powerlifting for six weeks and i'd ordered a single ply squat suit and bench shirt and they just hadn't got there yet and so i was like well i'll just do this meet raw and then actually i don't remember hearing or seeing about like big raw meets until I think that New England record breakers meet that they did, which I think eventually that's where like the raw unity meet spawned out of. But did you do any other raw meets? No, because like I said, it when I first got in, it wasn't really uh an option. And everything that I saw like multiply was the uh was the most popular thing because like the original WPO was at the Arnold Classic then powerlifting usa and powerlifting watch and uh youtube wasn't even a thing then it was uh there was a website called iron scene where it had like all of the different like gene richlack and scott mendelson and ryan Canelli. you could go and find all these like super big geared lists but like i don't remember the only, the only people that lifted raw were bodybuilders <laughs> you mentioned gene ralchek and ryan Canelli. oh he, he okay well what have they done i don't know see i don't <laughs> I, I have a complete like blank space of like multiply lifting. I don't know. I don't know a lot of the history about it. I know a lot of the West side stuff or some of the West side stuff, at least. Um, it's not my thing. I'm, I've always been a raw lifter. He always likes making fun of me for not knowing multiply history. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you get started? I got started. I think it was 2012, I think around then, but it was like predominantly raw yeah. lifting where I was there was almost no equipped lifters around my area uh it was just what I got started in 
Yeah, well, that makes sense. So yeah, I mean, I can I can see him giving you a hard time, and oh yeah, I, mean, I got it. I, yeah, it's he, the same thing though. Like this, that kid Luke Coleman that trains with us. Like I have this picture board, like a. Oh yeah. Yeah, you guys have seen it, and it's covered in like all these multiply lifters, like legends, people that like these guys are like celebrities. They were gods to me coming <laughs> up, and it's like. He'll sit there and look at the wall and be like, who's that? And I was like, you don't know who that is? Like, that's Becca Swanson, you idiot. And he'll like, is that Dave Hoffman? Like, no, that's obviously Ryan Canelli. Like, how do you not know the difference? He'll look at, like, <laughs> pictures of, like, Gary Frank and Jeff Lewis and all these guys, and, like, he has absolutely no clue who any of them are. And, like, that just blows my mind. But that's because that's what I came up in. It'd be like, you know, I guess it'd be the same with any other sport. Like, Cam Newton, I don't follow football, but I've heard his name before, like, I'm sure people that love Cam Newton have probably never heard of uh, John Elway or whoever some other great football player is. Do you make fun of Rainey for not knowing multiply history or is she educated in multiply history now? No, she, (laughs) she knows a lot about like the things that I talk about constantly, but she, yeah, she doesn't really know or care really anything about powerlifting. She cares about it. I shouldn't say it like that, but it's like, she, uh, because she's like so mentally invested in her job while oh, she's okay. at work, like she's one of the few people where like powerlifting is like a straight up outlet for her. Like I program her training, she just shows up and like takes out whatever aggression she has, and like is begging me to go up when something's easy because she's you know had a bad day and she's pissed off and like taking out extra aggression. I'm like, no, no, just stick to the program. But like she doesn't think about her training. You could ask her questions about it, and she's like, I don't know whatever Brian has programmed. And it's like, not that she's stupid by any means, but it's like she's just – she's not, like, as mentally invested in it. And lucky her, like, I kind of wish – like we were talking about earlier, I wish I had somebody that I actually trusted well enough to, like, just program. And all I had to do was show up and, you know, right. perform. That would be pretty awesome. So, But she has it, like – I think about this shit 24-7, <laughs> and she has, like, a job that she has to think about. Mm-hmm. While she's at work, I'm at work running a machine in a warehouse, so I can sit there and program and think about training and look at videos all day and think about you know, think about powerlifting. And she has to like actually focus on her job. <laughs> Rihanna's actually gotten mad at me before because she said that all I want to talk about is training, all I want to talk about is powerlifting, all I ever think about is squatting. Well, it's it'll be sometimes we're like I don't know, we'll be like winding down, like you know, talking about you know whatever i'm like i want to talk about like life and whatnot and then i'm like what are you what are you thinking about honey and then it's like squatting like well it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, not the answer man. i want to hear sometimes because yeah, I, oh. I think about powerlifting a lot too i think about training and programming like whenever i'm like talking to people it's usually what i'm talking about but sometimes like there are other thoughts that come into my mind <laughs> yeah I got, I got nothing else <laughs> Totally one-dimensional. Yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, that's pretty much been me my whole life. So we have very similar conversations at our house. Well, especially on the way home from the gym, I'll be like, just as you can tell, I can babble quite a quite a bit. Yep. I can go off on like a long ramble, and I'll just be rambling about something. I'll realize after like several minutes of talking that she hasn't said anything. I'm like, are you even paying attention? Like, oh, no, I was looking at Instagram and just letting you go. And I was like, well, I need your opinion on what? What I've been fucking about for the last 20 minutes. Like, what do you mean on what? I wasn't yep. listening. So that's how it goes. Well, for me, it's if it's the same, if he's already said the thing to me, 
and he's just repeating what he says a second time, like, like a week later, it'll be the same conversation, then I'll mentally check out because it's like, we've already had this conversation. You've already told me about what you want your bench cycle to be. There is no, there is no more input that I'm going to give you. I already gave it to you last week. And you're, he's going to argue with whatever you say anyway. Like Exactly, you know, yeah. If he tells you, if he gives you, hey, should I do A or B? And you say B, but why not A? And if you yeah. said oh, A, yeah. he's like, well, why not B? Yep. <laughs> I think we're kind of the same person in that regard because me and Rainy do that all the time. I'll be talking about, like right now, <laughs> now that I'm starting to feel a little bit better after taking the last nearly six weeks off, like I've got like, a really conservative 16 week training cycle planned out towards finals. And then I have a really conservative 20 week training cycle. And I was like, should I take, I've asked her probably a hundred times over the last couple of weeks. Like, what, what should I do? Which one should I do? I'll explain the pros and cons of each. You're like, I don't know. And I don't care. Cause you're going to do whatever the hell you want to anyway. So stop asking me. Right. I'll, ask, I'll ask the next day. And then she'll be like, I don't care. So. Yep. You do the one too, where you like you pick one option, then realize it was the wrong option. You get pissed off at them for not trying to do the other option. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, that happens quite often. I don't know how yeah. she puts up with me or stays with me. I'm a fucking loser. It's always funny too, and like I know that I'm right on something, and then he'll do the wrong thing anyways, and then it'll be like six weeks later, he'll be like, "Oh, like I think I should have done that other thing," and I'm like, "I told you." <laughs> I don't love playing the "I told you so" game, but mentally, I'm like. Uh huh. Yeah, that would have been the better. That would have been the better choice. But yeah. <laughs> oh well. Live and learn, right? Yeah, we're figuring exactly. <laughs> how did the WPO go? Well, we already know how it went for you, but um, you had a, a rough. <laughs> a rough couple showings. A rough couple showings. Um, and what's I, I must must be frustrating for you because we know what you're capable of, and you know a bit you're capable of a huge total, and you didn't even get the chance to get past squats and you lost me or was it WPO that you didn't get past squats at uh at the first finals in 2018 like the first new WPO meet I actually did make it through squat and then bombed on bench and then uh because bombing I, I that didn't qualify me for finals uh last year in 2019 so I went to Michigan to do APF nationals because that's pretty much what everybody that didn't qualify for finals was doing. So I went there and actually won, actually won best lifter. So like I won whatever they had it split up in like lightweight, middleweight. I can't remember. Anyway, I won best lifter on my day. So like won the whole meet total 2507 and no PRs on any lift. Cause I had squatted the same that I squatted at the previous WPO and then benched what I'd open with <laughs> and bombed out with at the previous meet and then pulled just enough to hit my first 2,500 total. And then that qualified me for finals. So I was like, okay, now I'm actually going to like, now that I was in, I was using the mindset that like, I'm going to try to put together, I'm not going to be conservative. I'm going to try to put up a big total. And I swung, I opened with what I needed to on squat and smoked it, but the judges didn't like it, which I mean, that's part of it. And so like an idiot, I was trying to keep up with Matt Manouf because he and I were kind of like both been eyeing Jim Benson's uh, squat world record at 242 for a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, he went up to 1120, whatever. I think he may have went, I can't remember what he went to, but I went up to either tie him or beat him by the next smallest jump. And we both missed and then came back and then both got it on our third, but both got turned down for depth again. So bombed out of my second WPO meet 
but I kind of redeemed myself at the semifinals this year. So, so what were some of the mistakes that you made along either the training cycles or in the meets that you bombed out of? In 2018, um, I bombed out on bench because I was just being stupid. I'd had uh, – I'd strained my pec and like 16 weeks out, and I'd had a new shirt. So I had some pec and shoulder issues going on and a shirt that I had yet to touch in and had yet to lock out off of a tube board anything that was close to 705. And then because I had – bent 705 before in my previous meet I was just expecting like some sort of meet day magic so I put on this shirt that I'd never touched in and never locked out of PR off of a board and opened with what I opened with when the day that I bent 705 and missed just outright missed 633 uh all three times just because I was being an idiot I was just opening with a weight that would have been there a year and a half earlier when I was at my strongest on bench in a brand new shirt with a fucked up pec. <laughs> so, because like I wouldn't call you an idiot. So like, what was the logic that went into you putting on the new shirt? Did the other shirt not fit you anymore? Oh no, yeah, the one that I'd had, I'd outgrown to the point where I could not touch. I couldn't come in any lower than a two board in it without like extreme uh, pressure on my bicep tendon that was okay. causing my hand to stay numb for a couple of days because. That's just how it is in bench shirts. Like, you grow into them to the point where they're perfect, and then you gain an extra five pounds, and now it's like you can't touch in it without being handcuffed. And that's what we call it when, like, it puts so much pressure on your biceps that it pulls your elbows in unnecessarily hard that you can't recover. And, like, once you come in so hard, you feel handcuffed because there's, like, mm-hmm. there's no pressure on your tendons and your hands kind of go numb. And then there's nowhere to go. You can't touch, but you also can't press. So, I had to retire that shirt, got a new one, and my first workout in it hurt my pec. So that whole training cycle, I was just like limping around this shitty pec with the shirt that I couldn't use and then went to the meet and expected – I just expected everything to come together because like there's been times where you've kind of pulled off something that you didn't think you could have or would have in a clutch situation, and I thought that that would happen then, and it did not. So, <laughs> And I've had the same thing where it's like I've – I've had miracles happen on meet days before when I was younger, dumber, and weaker. And, I ex- and then, like, later on, I expect to be able to make that same stupid decision and have it pay off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the – I mean, there's a lot of guys that have done that. Like, I know you hear stories about, like, Chuck Vogelpool doing crazy stuff and, like, squatting huge PRs on his third attempt after missing his first two. And, like, my that's kind of how my first 1,000-pound squat was. I uh, – I had the flu that whole week, lost seven pounds, weighed in super lighter than I had trained all training cycle, missed my first two attempts, and then went for a thousand anyway and smoked it. So, like I said, I've I've done, you know, miracle-less type things like that, and I thought maybe it would happen uh, mm-hmm. at that year's WPO, and it did not. And so, lesson learned there. I was a little bit more conservative with my bench training going into APF Nationals, which went well, and then. Uh, going into WPO finals in 2019, that was just a matter of being stupid and going up on my second attempt to try to be competitive when I should have just repeated my first squat and taken it lower, which I could have done. I just didn't mm. because Matt Maneuth went up and I wanted to go tit for tat with him. So, mm. <laughs> Did you guys both bomb out though? We did, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's <laughs> – 
So neither of you beat either. No, we, and I don't even know that he was even worried about me beating him because his bench is so stupid, like compared to mine. I, he's benched officially 925, and mm-hmm. I've seen videos of him doing uh, like high nines off of low boards. So, but like, I knew I couldn't hang with him on bench or total by any means. So I was just, I really wanted to beat him on squat because I'd seen him squat uh, what would have been the 242 world record squat at APF nationals, but he bombed on bench. So I was like, I went into that meet thinking, all right, whatever he does on squat, I'm going to beat him. Cause like, I'm not going to let him get the record cause he's already going to bench a thousand and mm-hmm. you know, total a million. So I'm going to, I'm at least going to get yeah. the squat. <laughs> it was really neat at that meet to watch uh, Danny Tina Harrow because he went into it. I don't know what he was like projected to place, but uh, <laughs> He wasn't even invited originally. Yeah, he wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't invited originally. But because he was so conservative, he ended up just watching as everyone else that was that should have, you know, probably placed higher than him, got knocked off left and right. And he was just kind of like one of the last men standing. Mm-hmm. So that was really yeah. well to watch. Well, Danny's—he's just so smart. Like I have so much respect for that dude. I like he's been competing for so long and like at a high level for so long that he just knows how to play the game. And like he and I had talked a couple weeks before the meet because uh, of course it was invite only and it was supposed to be by formula, but there was a little bit of confusion there with some people backing out and whatnot. There were some alternates that were caught up and he was one of the alternates until two weeks out. And like once we found out that he was doing the meet, he and I were talking on, uh, Facebook messenger one day and like we had kind of done the numbers and it was going to be if everybody had lifted consistent with their potential I guess um we he and I had kind of figured that it was going to be me Danny and uh Tom Craywick I think is how he says his name all in like neck and neck for five six and seven and then I bombed Matt Maneuth bombed Craywick bombed uh Dave Kirshen bombed and I think somebody else so like Danny automatically went from you know, in contention for fifth to like in contention for second, just because he was smarter and we all did dumb mm-hmm. shit. And like that just proves that like, not only is he like really strong and like an amazing lifter, but he's just, he's really smart, knows how to play the game. And he's not one of those people that he doesn't appear to make emotional decisions when it comes to competing, at least on, on the outside, it doesn't look like he does. And spending time with him, the thing that I've learned that makes him different for me is when he makes a choice, he doesn't babble back and forth with with Shelly. He just makes that choice and goes and does it. Whereas me, I'll babble back and forth with Miata for three weeks over what I should do and then still not know on the very day. And <laughs> Yeah. I, that, I'm that i kind of the, the same way. Like after a meet, it's, even if it's a good meet, I'm so mad at myself for like, well, if I did that and it was this easy, I should have went. I should have done this and this. And if I'd have squatted that extra five pounds instead of taking that conservative jump, the conservative jump was easy. So I know I had 30 more pounds. And then, you know, it's like you just kick yourself in the ass over and over and over again and drive yourself crazy about what you could have, should have, would have done. But I guess that's what makes this sport so addicting is that there's always an extra five or 10 or 20 pounds that you could have put on each lift that would have been a, a better total. So you go back and get that the next time. When you look back, though, are those conservative meets your better meets? They are, and that's why I, with all of the people that I coach, what we do is 
the second the meet is done, I sit down and like review the list that they did. And then if they miss lifts, I review the ones that they missed and why did they miss it? And then we plan on, let's say like, I'll use Stephen for an example. His last meet, he opened with 677 on bench, smoked it, went to, uh, after going three for three on squat with a big PR on his third squat, he opened with an easy bench and it went up, went to 727, it went up and then went to 766, which he was strong enough to get, but he didn't get it. So now we've planned to, just repeat that bench plan on meet day. Like we didn't change anything about the training cycle because he didn't miss on a strength issue. He missed because like his foot slipped and his pec was cramping. So he stopped. And then his third deadlift was so fast and so easy. We know he had another 30 or 40 pounds in him. So that right there, it takes the 40 pounds that he was strong enough to get on bench, but didn't for technical reasons. And the 30 or 40 pounds more that he could, that's, that's 70 pounds, six or 70 pounds on his total. And he doesn't have to get any stronger. We just have to play the game, but it's so much easier to do that for a client or for somebody else than it is to do it for yourself. So that's why I said it would, would have been nice over the years to have somebody to kind of make shots for me. So I'm trying to kind of do that with myself like I've looked at my last three meets and looked at what I've done what I could have done what I should have done and what I didn't do take the lowest you know the lowest hanging fruit on each lift to try to make the biggest total is kind of my approach for uh, this next training cycle because it's like way too easy to think like hey I, I squatted 800 and it was pretty easy I probably could have had 850 so for the next meet I should try for 900 like it's way too easy to get caught up in that yeah that's exactly I think that's the point I was trying to get to with my big long ramble there (laughs) last raw meet was phenomenal to watch because it was his first meet back over i think it was two years Mm -hmm. and we kept it pretty conservative throughout the training cycle and then the day of even though he knew that he was capable of more we wanted to keep 20 pounds in the tank on almost all of his lifts and just end up with a really good deadlift at the end just have like a really good day easy day back no possible injuries and it ended up being one of his best total to date, raw. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it just brought so much confidence into the next training cycle as well. But now it's like, I, I look back and I'm like, <laughs> I left so much on the platform that day. I, I almost feel like I have to shoot for more just because of how much was left. <laughs> well, like you said, I think I've, there's a video where Dave Tate, one of his table talks, he's talking about the same thing. It's like, if this training yielded an easy 800, that could have been 850 then just repeat the same training and -hmm. get that 850 that you're already confident you could have got but no the dumbass meathead and all of us says well if this training yielded what could have been 850 let's just repeat that training but add 50 pounds all the numbers that way we know we got the 850 and then we have a shot at nine but it doesn't work like that because now you're just like i was talking about earlier you're adding unnecessary uh recovery needs by beating yourself up and taking bigger numbers just because you had a good meet. So now you, you're all arrogant instead of being confident that I could have done this number. So now I'm just going to go back and get that number with the same training. Well, as lifters, I think that we can tend to be greedy sometimes. Oh, very. (laughs) Yeah. Like an extra 10 pounds on your total or an extra 20 pounds on your total is still a good amount to go up in your total. It's still great. Sometimes even five pounds is, is wonderful to add on to your total. So why do you need to have an extra hundred pounds on your total every meet? I think more often than not, unless you're a new lifter, unless you're a beginner, that's just how you're going to crash and burn. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, like you said, we're all very greedy. Uh. <laughs> well, I think too, I got caught up in it because from the ages of like 17 to 22, there wasn't a single meet where I didn't open up with an all-time PR on every single lift. Yeah. And then, was... and like once I kind of got through that accelerated gains phase, it just kind of mm-hmm. hit me like a brick wall. Yeah, I kind of went through that too. Dave, uh, Dave Hofstad once way back when on some podcast or whatever that was before podcast, but he had said that he he always tries to lift one lift behind his potential. So it's like he goes into a meet if he thinks he could squat thirteen hundred, then he'll just take twelve fifty or twelve seventy five and save that thirteen hundred. If you compete, you know, two or three times a year and put five pounds on each lift conservatively every single meet then, you know, that's a 15-pound total PR, which six months later you compete again, that's now a 30-pound total PR, whereas, like, you do that for 10 years, that's 300 pounds on your total, where guys like us go in, it's like, I want 100 pounds this year. Like, you got to look at the two-year plan, the three-year plan, the five-year plan, and a lot of us look at that 12-week plan and Mm -hmm. live or die by it. At least I know I have a lot. (laughs) And, like, really, we're – well – I'm still very young. You're still young enough. Yeah. We still got to be looking 10, 15 years into it because mm-hmm. I know I'm not really going to be anywhere near what I can do until I'm 40, or at least I don't want to be. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I've always said that I wanted to be like peaking around 40, but my actions haven't always <laughs> like lived up to that or, you know, lined up with that. Yeah. I'm trying to uh now that I'm 32 and I'm feel like I'm falling apart uh I I'm trying I just sit down like I said earlier I've got like a really conservative 16 week plan for this meet and then already have like the next two or three training cycles depending on when the dates pop up that like I'm really only married like the last 12 to 16 weeks everything in between that I'm trying to figure out a way to do as little as possible and stay in one piece and trying to actually look at the the next two to three to five year plan and what's in that two to three five year plan uh you asking like numbers wise or just just in general i know you don't i know you don't like talking about numbers so uh to uh stay in one piece and hit a total pr every meet (laughs) yeah do you have a meet plan right now you said you're in a 16 week prep do you actually have like a definitive day yeah wpo finals uh in October 28th. I'll see the face you're giving her right now. Like, how don't you like know she that? was supposed oh, to know. On. How do you not know that? What an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm keeping up to date on all the raw meats. Uh, <laughs> so that is definitively going to happen with the, the after the quarantine? Last I heard, it uh, it is still happening in conjunction with WPC Worlds, but they had to move venues because I don't know if they – they went out of business because of the quarantine or because of something else. But the, the, what was it called? The pheasant run resort where finals was last year actually went out of business. So that little mega center is now no longer there. Mm-hmm. So they moved it to, uh, two XL powerlifting, which I think Eric stone APF guy owns. And, uh, yeah, it's in Chicago. It's, uh, they're the ones that have supplied all the equipment for the platform at the last few WPO meets. So, I saw on Instagram a couple of days ago that they're moving uh, WPC Worlds and WPO Finals into 
like they have like a, a, a designated room where they host meets at this gigantic like 50,000 square foot facility 2XL powerlifting so it's supposed to be there on October 28th so that's the next meet which is a Wednesday which is kind of awkward so planning training around peaking for a Wednesday meet a Wednesday is it because of ESPN again or, or well WPC happening? Worlds is uh, a four-day meet and then WPO is on the the fifth day so mm. yeah so I looked at my my usual like final four weeks and like where my last training it was either going to leave me five days of rest or 13 days of rest so I was like what do I do I'll just take so I'm going to take the 13 days so I figured that would probably be better for somebody of my yep. of my uh training age I guess <laughs> completely agreed I'd, I'd be doing the same thing Mm-hmm. <laughs> Seth's opening a can of pop right now. <laughs> That's like all I get to hear right now is I'm just like, why is he opening that right now? Um, well, I, I don't know if we have any other questions. Thank you. As rainy, uh, I see your alpaca. Oh yeah, the al- I think they're yeah, I think those are llamas. But uh, oh, that was the gift from Shelly and Danny, and we didn't have anything else on the wall there so i figured just it's it's supposed to be like a beach towel but i was like yeah. you know what what the hell it's it's now a decoration <laughs> yeah. well you guys didn't come to our house while you were here uh visiting last year but right outside of our neighborhood or the development that we live at there's this random i don't know if they're alpacas or llamas but there's like this random little it's like a double wide trailer with like a huge field where they have like eight or ten like I said, I don't know the difference between a llama or alpaca. And like every time we drive by there, they'll be out, but Rainy won't be thinking about it, and so she won't get a picture or a video. And then like when she thinks about it, they're not out; they're in the barn. So like, oh one of these, no! We're going to get a random video from her of like of her antagonizing these llamas or whatever they are. I was gonna say, tell her I'm upset that I haven't seen anything yet because she is always Instagram messaging me and alpaca videos. <laughs> <laughs> really? They're always well, great. Yeah. And then she has them outside her house and she hasn't sent them to me. Man, oh yeah. man. What a sweetheart, though. <laughs> uh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys in Florida. Uh, is Rainy coming with you? Do you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. We'll, yeah, okay, cool. We'll be there. We'll have, to, we'll have to hang out. We'll get dinner or something when you guys are down. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to say before we finish up? No, I think I about covered it. I rambled long enough about random <laughs> shit so i hope i Perfect. i answered all the questions you guys at least had made this somewhat interesting for you oh it, it'll work great <laughs> thank you so much brian yeah we appreciate oh, yeah. your time where can people find you uh on instagram at brian hill 242 uh and on facebook as just my name brian hill and that's about the only place you can find me i don't have a youtube channel that i'm active or anything like that so Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me on.